Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I listen to Bickley and Murata. Terrific show, by the way. I really enjoy it. Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Sports, man. Sports. Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bigly and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bigly and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Good morning. Happy Thursday, everybody. As Sarah just said, it is not game night in the Valley. It will be here soon, though. <laughs> Vinny, you're rolling your eyes. You sick of the wait? Yeah, I mean, three days on the calendar seemed like a long time. Three days in reality seems yeah. like a longer time. Uh-huh. It's like, let's go already. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's going to be an interesting Friday night in the Valley. We have got a lot of Suns coverage for you today. We're going to start by saying uh, this is something I'm going to uh, take solace in. Uh, Kevin Durant is now a video game character. Yes. Kevin Durant, easy money sniper is now available in Call of Duty. A playable character in Call of Duty. Uh So how can we lose? How can we possibly lose? Which apparently has Devin Booker all up in arms. I bet it does. I bet it does. (laughs) And, And more up in arms that... KD didn't even mention it to yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the funniest part of the story because Devin Booker is the resident uh, gaming uh, expert, best gamer on the team. Yeah, all he does is talk about Call of Duty, and Kevin Durant never even mentioned it to him. That is so funny to me. The can, funny- you, can you imagine living such a blessed life that being in a video game is like, oh, yeah, yeah well, I've been there, done that. Yeah, it's that thing. You. Yeah, well, I was going to say, on top of that, I mean, it's been a busy week for KD. He also got a lifetime contract from Nike. So, I mean, yeah, it's easy to forget that kind of stuff, Did you see the the, uh, annual list of the highest paid athletes on Forbes? No. What? Kevin Durant's in the top ten of that. Worldwide. Uh, Wow. There you go. $89 million in the last calendar year he made. Wow. (laughs) That includes international soccer players? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The funniest comment I saw on the Call of Duty characters that nobody's going to pick that because whether you're standing or crouching, your head's going to be popping up over the... Uh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Whatever you're, how, that's you're hiding behind. That's you're a football. good point. It might be hard to blend yeah. camouflage saying, when you're, you're easy, 6'11". Yeah, easy money sniper, susceptible to other snipers. Yeah, yeah. might be. Might be. So anyways, if you haven't seen the picture of it, it's a very cool looking character. I'd be very proud of that. Yeah, that is right? cool. That's yeah. pretty badass. All right, start the show, Jarrett. The Splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The Splash. Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. The Splash. Brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. We are a day closer to game three of the Western Conference semifinals between the Suns and Denver Nuggets. Tomorrow night at Footprint Center, of course, uh, the Suns released a statement Tuesday saying point guard Chris Paul is day-to-day with a groin injury. Suns trail two games to none, so it's just about a must-win for Phoenix. Tip-off Friday, 7 o'clock, the Arizona Sports Playoffs preview show with Tim Ring starts at 6. 
on the Arizona Sports app in 98.7. As Bick said, we're going to have a ton of coverage, different angles to look at today. Uh, basically because we've got the time to do it. Mm. <laughs> Lots of preview of, of uh, Game 3 coming up. Last night in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers got their MVP, Joel Embiid, back from injury and then promptly got run out of the gym by the Boston Celtics, 121-87 to at TD Garden. Jalen Brown led the Celtics with 25. Malcolm Brogdon pumped in 23, including six three-pointers off the bench. Embiid only 15 points in 26 minutes. And James Harden, who was unstoppable in Game 1, had just 12 points on 2 of 14 shooting. That series is now tied 1-1 in Game 3's tomorrow night in Philadelphia. I've mentioned this to you. I just did a little research before the show. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia, the road team in that series, won Game 1. Mm-hmm. I've said it. It's the most... Sure in, bet in sports. Sure bet in sports that the home team's going to win Game 2. Yeah. 17 times over the last three postseasons. So since the bubble, the road team has won game one in a series. And 17 times the home team has won game yeah. two. Yeah, which means the Warriors are going to route tonight? Yes. Okay. It's going to be another one of those 34-point right. blowouts okay. tonight, I think. Uh, that is the only game on the schedule tonight in San Francisco. Between the Warriors and Lakers, Jordan Poole reportedly already taking half-court shots to get ready for tonight's game. Tip-off is at 6 o'clock on ESPN with the uh, Dubs trying to even things up at 1-1. D-backs won a wild one in Arlington, 12-7 over the Rangers to top off their five-game road trip. Christian Walker's three-run homer gave the D-backs a 3-1 lead in the third. Cattell Marte added a two-run blast in the fifth, followed by a solo shot by Walker, and it was 6-2. Texas Storm back in the bottom of the fifth against Brandon Fott, who was making his Big league debut. Rangers put up five. They took a 7-6 lead on Josh Young's solo home run. That chased fought from the game. D-backs put up five of their own in the seventh to go back out in front, 11-6. Andrew Chafin uh, struck out the side in the ninth to earn the save. Yeah, you've heard me talk about how I was very, very um, inspired by Brandon Fott's swagger uh, during during spring training. Did you see his post game interview yesterday? It was uncomfortable. I had it, I had it on in the background. He, it was he un- did look very uncomfortable. Yes, yes, it was. And he looked uncomfortable in the fifth inning too. He did. <laughs> Uh, learning, uh, growing pains, as they call them. The D-backs yeah, did a get debut some, to forget. Yeah, uh, yeah, he gave up four home runs. Uh, the other good news for the D-backs: Corbin Carroll came back. Yes, as a pinch hitter in the seventh, singled and scored. D-backs come home after a three-two, uh, three-and-two road trip. They'll start a season-high ten-game homestand Friday night against the Nationals. Marlins and Giants will also be at Chase Field during that stretch. A couple roster moves also yesterday for the D-backs: uh, optioning pitcher Peter Solomon to. Triple A Reno to make room for fought on the 40 man roster and designated infielder Seth Beer for assignment. Beer is gone. And that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers' acclamation in New York continues as the Jets are expected to sign longtime Packers wide receiver Randall Cobb to a one year contract. Cobb caught 34 passes for 417 yards at a touchdown in a Green Bay uniform last year. ASU basketball, another day, another transfer. They landed guard Bryson Long from Houston Christian. Long played his high school ball at Gilbert High School, but averaged nearly 15 points per game last year at Houston Christian, shot 41% from three-point range, and has two years of eligibility remaining. I I was shocked when I heard the news, and I, I did a little research on this kid. He shoots a lot of threes, and he makes a lot of threes, which oh, is something good. ASU guards good. don't typically do. Good. <laughs> and in the Stanley Cup 
Cup playoffs. Uh, Carolina roughed up New Jersey 5-1. They jump out to a 1-0 series lead in that Eastern Conference semifinal. And in the West, Vegas outlasted Edmonton in Game 1, 6-4. Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers had all four goals in the loss. The second straight day, a player has had four uh, four goals and lost. Joe Pavelski did it two nights ago for the Stars. And uh, an international soccer note. And you'll see why I'm telling you this in mm-hmm. just a second. Mm-hmm. Erling Holland, isn't that weird? Of Man City, a scored in the 70th minute of a three-nil win over West Ham United, his 35th goal of the Premier League this season, which breaks the record of 34, which has stood since the 94-95 season. I yeah, listen, I I haven't seen this kid play. Have you? I have not. Yeah, I, at some point in time, I want to see what this hype is all about. Dan Bickley's going to watch Holland. I like, uh, Holland, isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason I did that. Okay, that's good. Because I'm a child. I'm for it. There you go. There is your splash for May the 4th be with you. Oh, it's that day. Yes. How long did wow. it... Wow. What when, a dork. Star Wars came out in 1977. How long did, the, did, did, they, did it take them to figure that out and make it, it a day? I don't remember it until about 10 years ago. Me neither. Yeah. yeah, I became aware of it probably in like 07, 08. But it yeah. might... Thereabouts? Wow. Is that when it started? I don't oh, know. Yeah, you I'm, remember the specific I'm, year. Well, because I remember, I remember where I was when I saw it for the first time. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. I'm a very visual person. I remember where I am when I learned things. I just looked it up. One of the earliest uses of the phrase, may the fourth be with you, came on May 4th, 1979. I'm a little bit late. just close. (laughs) I was going to say, come on, nerds, get on it, but it only took them two years. (laughs) There you go. There's your splash for Thursday. Coming up next, maybe some tinkering with the rotation from uh, Monty Williams and the Suns in Game 3. We'll get into all the latest next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. For sure. Those are two guys that um, see significantly more time. You know, those kinds of decisions only hurt you when you when you have an injury. Then you wish you could have gotten those guys a bit more reps to prepare for that. So we have these days to get ready for that. And the guys who played. You know, we were in a good rhythm right before Chris got hurt. Uh, with Cam playing in the second unit and Chris playing with the starters. Now we just have to adjust. Monty Williams, the head coach of the Suns. Started that soundbite by talking about two guys that will definitely see more time. Those guys, Bick. Yeah. Terrence Ross, TJ Warren. How about it? Uh, which, again, this is Monty Williams trying to capture something, trying to get some production from the bench, which has been dormant the entire postseason. 95.4% of the points the Suns scored on Monday night came from the starters. Mm. 95.4. Yeah. Uh, and, yes, I know people have been calling for TJ Warren and Terrence Ross. I'm on board with it. See what you got. Roll the dice. The stats are not 
really in their favor either. Uh, in 15 minutes and 11 seconds of combined playing time yeah. this postseason, they've yet to score a point. Okay, well, it, here's here's my general overarching thoughts on this. You, you know my thoughts on performing major surgery in the midst of a playoff series. It's usually a sign of desperation. It's a sign things are not going well for you. Uh-huh. And we saw this last year, and I'm generally not a fan of it. The injury to Chris Paul changes that because, as it is, when Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, um, especially in the second half of Game 2 and pretty much throughout this whole series, uh, they're either being double teamed or they're sending a second guy or they're shadowing these guys. You've got to have weapons around them. You've got to have guys who can take and make shots. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be, you're just going to continue uh, to hope for Kevin Durant or Devin Booker to score 40 points every night. Now, I'm not sure that isn't the best game plan. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm against these changes, but uh, it, it does kind of speak to the moment and where they're at. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, because of the Paul injury, it makes it more necessary. Obviously, the struggles from the bench make it more necessary. And we're running a promo right now for, for Burns and Gambo, where Gambo is like, yeah, the bench is going to have to erupt. If that's your game plan and you're counting on that, that's you're in game plan. huge yeah. trouble. Yeah, that's not a game plan at all. Because, <laughs> listen, I we all see it. The bench through seven playoff games has been outscored by 123 points. Which is mind-boggling. So I think it's mm-hmm. the exact opposite. And you you kind of mentioned it, scoring 40 points. To me, Monty Williams has got to go full Henry Winkler from the Waterboy and sit down Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and say, look, you guys have to do this by yourself because there's nobody that's, on this team that's listen, any good. That is uh, that is not necessarily a bad plan, but uh, but I don't. Here Here's what I think is, um, I, I, this occurred to me yesterday, that the stress that they must feel internally, because you hear Monty Williams talk about his team's DNA, and he's done it this year. He's talked about this is who we are. We move the ball, 0.5, pass the ball. Ball can't get sticky. This is who we are. It dawned on me that, no, it's not. It's not who you are anymore. You don't have a full team. So this offense that Monty Williams treasures is very miscast for the team that he's got right now. Yeah, and a a number of reasons for that. Obviously, a massive trade at the Uh deadline completely changed Mm -hmm. the makeup of your team, and you didn't have that, that guy that was at the center of it. For a good portion, you had eight games to ramp up for this. So you're mm-hmm. right that that offense, you might be able to lean on it at times, but mm-hmm. we saw in the fourth quarter when things got tough, that went out the window. Yeah. So uh, so good luck with this. But I I would tend to do what you're saying. I would just say, okay, you know what? Until until we can get to to someplace better, let's just you guys alternate. We'll. It, it, Try to hang into games, maybe get into the second half. I I don't know. I'm going to be really curious to see how this thing unfolds because sticking with an offensive philosophy with a team that has been radically changed, I don't know that's the way to go either. Uh Uh, The other change, obviously, because of the Chris Paul injury, what does Monty Williams do in that starting lineup with Chris Paul not available? Is it Cameron Payne? Uh, Payne was asked if he expects to start Game Three. Are you going over this? Thinking, okay, I'll be starting Game Three for sure. Uh, just being being ready. Yeah, he says for sure. Just being ready mm-hmm. doesn't mean that's going to happen. It might be another wrinkle, uh, but Cameron Payne all of a sudden becomes a very, very important cast member for the Suns if this movie's going to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's uh, more from Cameron Payne yesterday at practice. Oh, for sure. Uh, we we got to embrace what, what what we're dealing with. Uh, we've been embracing all these kind of things since I 
I came to the team since the boat had to go eight and zero just to get an opportunity. Uh, this year we deal with injuries, but we we where we are, we're here. Uh, so honestly, man, just you know you gotta you gotta take take what they give you, take take what the world give you, and just accept it and go do the best. We got a lot of guys on this team, um, so no matter what, we got a great opportunity. This year's playoffs around the league, big have been just littered with injuries. I mean, mm-hmm. the big names going down and missing time and lots of examples of their respective teams stepping up in the absence of those players. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joel Embiid's the league MVP. Philadelphia won game one on the road against Boston. Yep. I mean, John Morant went down. Giannis went down. Those obviously didn't end well, but we went in, a lot of people went into this postseason in Phoenix and around the league saying, well, the Suns have KD and Booker. How do you deal with that? The Suns still have KD and Booker. (laughs) Still got to be dealt with. Now, a little bit of help would go a long way for those two guys. Mm -hmm. And and that might be the stance that they take. We'll carry you, but get on board and help us out a little bit. Because that, I mean, the the, the, and and Damian Lee was, it was kind of a weird study in game two because he did play a lot of minutes. He didn't score. He missed his shots, but he did a lot of little things pretty Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a sign of something coming. Uh, I I, I don't know. Yeah. So, and and again, it, it really all depends on what does significant increase in playing time mean because you look at Josh Okoge and Josh Okoge in game two did a really good job in Jamal Murray. He got torched in game one, Mm -hmm. but he played much better on Jamal Murray in game two. So I I don't think you necessarily mess with that piece. I I, Again, it's just going to be fascinating because if you put T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross into much more high-profile roles, you're telling them, shoot the ball. And you got to live with those consequences. And Monty said that very thing yesterday. I, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be quite something. Yeah. So I wonder too, with you know, fragile psyche, and it appears that a lot of those role players have fragile psyches right now, passing mm-hmm. up shots, playing with a an apparent lack of confidence. Are you going to empower those two guys who have been prolific scorers during their careers? Are you going to empower them to do it with the second unit? Or are you going to plug one of those guys into the starting lineup yeah. and hand the point guard reins to Devin Booker? That's yeah. an interesting question. That, exactly. Exactly. That's the interesting question. Does Devin Booker start at point guard? Does campaign start the game at point guard? Because all these things, they kind of flow from that. Yeah, um, and you know Chris Paul, the injury, uh, lots of reaction to uh, that news, and Monty Williams talked about how CP3 himself is reacting to it. I talked to him a few times yesterday. Uh, frustrated for sure. I mean, train your whole career for these types of moments, but he's also um, optimistic about our guys and how well we can play and, and where we're trending. You know, that was the tough part about the injury when, before he got hurt, you could just see the offense was starting to figure out a few things, and then he, you know, he comes up as an injury that he can't control, so that was a bit of a downer, but um, we've always had a mentality of bouncing back and regrouping and doing whatever we can to be productive on the floor, and he was a part of that today. Yeah, and that's something, you know, going back to, to the postseason two years ago that maybe the Suns that were there, and a lot of them are still here, mm-hmm. can channel, because in the first two series, there was both of those, or actually first three series, there was moments of, uh-oh, CP3's out, now what? And the Suns got through both the Clippers 
uh, or the Lakers in the first round and then the Clippers in, in the Western Conference Finals when he was away. So I'm real curious to see how they react. Yeah, the idea the idea that Chris Paul is day to day, I think they're they're playing that game yeah. again, even though they're giving off uh, signals that he may be available in Game Three. I really have a hard time believing. I'm that. pretty sure he was day to day last injury when yeah. he missed right. several weeks. Kawhi yeah, Leonard is, was just day to day too. Yeah. At Exa- the end of the exactly, series. exactly. Yeah, we need Suns fans more than ever to rally the Valley for Game Three and Game Four. Text ticket to six twenty six twenty. Register and listen for your name today during the 7 a.m., noon, and 5 o'clock hours for your chance to qualify for Game 3 and Game 4 tickets to see the Suns take on the Nuggets. That's ticket to 620-620. Coming up next, a wild game yesterday in Texas. D-backs come out on top. D-backs daily straight ahead. Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. D-backs daily. Brought to you by the Arizona Department of Health Services. The first step to help is three numbers away. Call Texter Chat 988 to access the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Yep, uh, afternoon game at Globe Life Park in Arlington. D-backs trying to salvage the back half of a two-game set with the Rangers. They had one of their phenoms, their top pitching prospect Brandon fought on the mound to make his major league debut, and it was Texas who would draw first blood, courtesy of catcher Jonah Heim. Now the pitch, swing, and a drive deep to right field. one nothing Texas on Jonah Heim's sixth home run of the season. Chris Garagiola on the calls. The long ball, definitely the theme of the day for both teams. Uh, one nothing Rangers at that point in the third. Christian Walker doing, uh, doing his uh, part to move the scoreboard. Haney's 3-2. Is hit on the line, left field corner. That ball is gone. Three run shot for Walker. He finally made him pay. It's his six of the season. The D backs are in front, three to one. That would be three two in the fourth on a Josh Young homer. Uh, then in the fifth inning, Cattell Marte, a two run shot with Herrera on, made it five two Diamondbacks. And then Christian Walker again. One two. Swing, high drive center, going back to Varis, and onto the warning track. Leaps, and he can't make the catch. That ball is gone. And Walker goes deep again. 6-2 in the fifth, uh, and that's where the fun really started. Texas started to bounce back. They got a home run from uh, Tavares and an RBI double from Jankowski. Uh, things got a little messy for Brandon Fought at that point. He gets chased from the game and actually left with the Rangers leading 7-6. Fast forward to the seventh inning, and the floodgates opened for the uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, it was Emmanuel Rivera tying things up. Here's a 2-2. Swing, ground ball to short. Diving is Duran. He can't get it. That's in the left field. Corbin Carroll's going to score. And we're tied at 7 on the RBI single by Rivera. They weren't nearly done. A bases loaded walk to Walker. Knocked in a run. Uh, Marte scored there. 8-7. Rojas a sack. Fly to make it 9-7. Dominic Fletcher, second straight day with an RBI. Made it 10-7. And then uh, Geraldo Perdomo. Coming in in the seventh inning and doing what he's done all year long. And that one hooked inside the right field line. That's a fair ball in the corner. Walker scores. 
The stop sign going to be given to Fletcher at third. It's an RBI double off the bench, and it's now 11-7 Diamondbacks. Lourdes Gurriel would add a home run in the eighth inning. 12-7 the final, and that is the happy ending to all of it and a lot of the offense. I mean, I think it's the first time the Diamondbacks have hit four home runs in yeah. a game this year, so mm-hmm. the offense was, was on display, but kind of puts a Band-Aid on what we saw from Brandon Fought, who yeah. really, you mentioned the word uncomfortable, and certainly oh, yeah, it no, no, that it was way. A, Listen, he had a huge contingent of family at the game, yep. and he became just the 10th pitcher in Major League Baseball history to give up four home runs in a debut. Um, that's That doesn't go down easy. Torrey Lovello tried to kind of ease the day a little bit, say, yeah, it was my bad. I probably left him out there a batter or two too long, and other than that, he did pretty well. Yeah, I, Hopefully, it'll be better next time around. Yeah, which is also, just from the managerial standpoint, that's rare for Torrey, especially with a young pitcher. He's usually got a quick hook when those guys start struggling a little bit. Yeah. So to see him and hear him admit that after the game with Mm -hmm. the prize pitching prospect in a high-scoring game that could have gone Uh either way, a little weird. But uh, the D-backs do win three of five on the road trip. They're back home. Ten-game homestand starting tomorrow night against the uh, Washington Nationals at Chase Field. Uh, The only problem is the Dodgers keep winning. They won yesterday on a walk-off grand slam by Max Muncy. Apparently he's going to hit 90 home runs this year. Mm. There you go. There's D-backs daily. You've been listening to D-Backs Daily, brought to you by the Arizona Department of Health Services. The first step to help is three numbers away. Call Texter Chat 988 to access the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Arizona Sports, the home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. NBA playoffs continuing last night. Just one game on the schedule and it had uh, the attention of the basketball world. But, man, it was hard to keep your attention on that game because the Boston Celtics absolutely roughed up Philadelphia 121-87 to at TD Garden to even that series at one game apiece. Uh, and it looked like a totally different Sixers team. It looked like a totally different James Harden who kind of channeled his former MVP form in game one. Had maybe his best playoff game ever. He was uh-huh. terrible in game two. And this coincides with the return of Joel Embiid, which has a lot of people asking the question. Because Embiid came back. He played uh, just under 27 minutes. 15 points, three rebounds, did block five shots. But um, the question was, you know, did, did uh, Joel Embiid come back too soon? Here's Jay Williams from ESPN uh, sharing his thoughts on that. I'm fine with it. I did this whole thing that people were saying he shouldn't have came back. Stop. He is the MVP of the NBA. Can he go? And, and if he can go, go, go. Key, like what? I mean, it took fine to me right there to dunk. And how many times, Key, did we talk about people saying, "Well, you know, if an athlete can, can go, then they should go." Like, so he went. Now we're telling them not to go. Well, there's going to be a level of adjustment that's going to come back with Joel Embiid and James Harden. You see it. I think there's a tendency to defer, which you should, to the MVP. But realistically, they got one. They got one. Yeah, a lot of that criticism has got to be in hindsight. If Doc Rivers knew, hey, you're gonna you're gonna lose tonight by 34 points. Joel mm-hmm. Embiid's not playing. <laughs> but they won one. Yeah. They tried to get greedy, and there's nothing wrong with getting greedy on the road. I have no problem with him coming back. Yeah, and and I also think to, to me. I, I, 
The 76ers weren't going to win that game regardless. I, I mean, we just spent time talking about the psychological dynamics of a road team in Game 2 after they've stolen Game 1, and that's what the 76ers did. And, and so to me, I, I, I'm not sure that this is really that big of a talking point. I mean, you gotta, if you've got Joel Embiid and, and you know you've already stolen a game, what are your odds of stealing another one without him? Not very good. I don't think so. No. Yeah. And... I think the Celtics are the far superior team. Mm -hmm. They didn't show it in game one. Doc Rivers had to have similar thinking. Joel Embiid maybe has similar thinking. You know, very quietly, they're not going to admit that publicly. So if you've got a chance to plug him back in there and maybe lightning strikes for a second time, you've really set yourself up well for the rest of the series. But, I mean, you go home to Philadelphia now, tied Mm 1-1, they've got to feel great about what they accomplished. I would think so. And their big man back and stronger moving forward. But in in the dynamics and in the psychological gymnastics that teams play, the Celtics are going to feel good, too, having just won by 34 points. And they won, and here's another weird thing, they won by 34 points and Jason Tatum made one basket. Yeah, (laughs) right. So, uh, So I just, I don't think there was a chance in uh, there just wasn't a chance the 76ers were, were going to have the requisite urgency to match what the Celtics were going to feel uh, yeah, and we're going to bring to the court. So who do you think wins that series now? I think Boston I think Boston's going to win that series. I think they're the better team. I, what I think is interesting to me though is this theory going to apply to tonight's game between the Lakers and the Warriors. That's what's more interesting to me is is are the Lakers going to go okay you know we got ours let's just get home. Let's get through this, get home. Well, I think it's a, a double-sided coin, as most coins are. one dimension. You have that the road team wins game one. There's that natural, uh, unconscious letdown. Hey, mm-hmm. we already accomplished what our goal is. And on the other side of it, it's the, the desperation kicking in for the home team. Nobody wants to go down 0-2. You don't come back from that. You no. lose the first two games at home, you're you're cooked. No, not yet. No road team winning. Both. No, you're exactly right about that. So and and you could almost understand the Warriors in Game One. They played a little bit of a soft game. They took over fifty three point yes. shots in Game One. They were coming out of that legendary Game Seven against Sacramento. There's you you can understand that there was going to be a letdown for them in Game One. In and my the, opinion. And there's always the idea of are you going to get one hundred percent effort from Anthony Davis two games in a row? Yeah. Well, if well, if they do get that, that effort, uh, they're going to raise his uh, jersey to the rafters right after game two if that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, only one game on the schedule tonight. I think yeah. it's going to look a lot like what last night looked, yep. look, looked like. Me too. Uh, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line. It's open at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, people still talking about the Arizona Cardinals tampering. Jonathan Gannon, Michael Bidwill, all of it. We'll get into it next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Marotta. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Marotta Mornings. And I, I think everybody knows in any line of work, if they're on an expiring contract or they're under consideration, they still have a responsibility uh, to their employer to do the job the right way. And so they know what they can and can't do. So, you know, I think these coaches realize, you know, as hard as it is, you know, we often hear about a coach. Um, you know, preparing for a playoff game at the time he's doing multiple coach interviews, right? Like there, there's all sorts of things that that go on. Um, in this particular case, uh, I, I just think the Eagles weren't comfortable with the information that they learned, and Jeffrey brought it up to Michael Bidwell, 
And this is where the organizations wound up. That's Adam Schefter from 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia yesterday, where obviously they're still talking about the situation, yeah. and uh, we're talking about it here, too. The situation being the Cardinals tampered with uh, Jonathan Gannon during a closed window in their coaching cycle. Uh, they placed a phone call. We got some of the details from Monty Austin Ford after the draft. We got some details earlier this week from Jonathan Gannon. There's another new wrinkle right at the end of that. Cardinals self-reported this. Adam Schefter reporting. Jeffrey Lurie found out about it and mentioned it to Michael Bidwell. Right. And so, so what <laughs> so is that really self-reporting? Well, or, or, well, if Michael Bidwell had no knowledge of this, and this is sort of the missing link and probably will remain a missing link, yes. if Michael Bidwell didn't know anything about this and he got the phone call from Jeffrey Lurie, then his next phone call was to Roger Goodell, I guess that's self-reporting if it's the first time he's heard of it. Yes. So, And I'm sure that's going to be the explanation if, if there is indeed one. I think it's interesting that this story won't die. I think that Adam Schefter kind of lended credibility that there's legitimacy behind uh, the Eagles' grievance and all of this. But he also said, he prefaced that and I, and I edited it for time, mm-hmm. but he started that statement by saying, yeah, this does happen. Well, it, it, it happens does more happen. than you think. It does happen, but it, but if, if, if it's true that the Eagles found out something, if the Eagles are honestly angry about this, then this thing went to a level that, that we're not even aware of yet. And in, and in reading some of this, uh, somebody went back and did a real deep dive on what Jonathan Gannon had to say after the Super Bowl and at his introductory press conference. Uh-huh. And in one of those press gatherings, he had mentioned that um, that he had been able to spend a lot of time looking at the Cardinals roster. And so there's this feeling that, okay, this is more than just a phone call. Now, is it really, does it rise to the level of, of being derelict to your employers during the midst of a Super Bowl run? I don't know. I, I don't have access that, to that information. But but if Jonathan Gannon has got an interview for a head coaching job on a, the morning after the Super Bowl, then the thinking is he would have had to have some familiarity with the Cardinals roster, which means he would have also spent time prepping for the job. It wasn't just a phone call. Okay, we'll get together. Thanks. See you later. It was, oh, okay, now I need to spend some time prepping for this. A, now, does that? But does that even raise to the level of a, co- a coach being distracted? And I, and I wonder, like, what... In the timeline is what are they really mad about? Like this whole Fangio thing. Mm-hmm. Like, did Gannon tell the Eagles he's n- not going anywhere? That he's going to return as defensive coordinator after he had already gotten the call? So he was like lying to them. So th- in their mind, they were they were lied to, and that affected the way that they went after coordinators and stuff. Well, he did. Th- that's where it gets fuzzy and. and- you remember the on-field interview Jonathan Gannon did after the Eagles crossed yes. the 49ers in the yes. NFC Championship game. He did use those words. I'm not going anywhere. Yep. That was January 29th. That was the day that Vic Fangio agreed to take the job with Miami. He was not officially hired until more than two weeks later on February mm-hmm. 15th. Uh, Jonathan Gannon had already been identified and hired by the, the Cardinals as their head coach. Here was Adam Schefter on the ripple effects the Gannon thing had, including Vic Fangio. I, I think that uh, it impacted a lot of people's lives. Um, Vic Fangio, for example, uh, probably would not have taken the Dolphins' defensive coordinator job and would be the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia today if everything was on the up and up. And so it just impacted the Cardinals and their job in Jonathan Gannon, it impacted others as well. Which, so that's that, that's clear, clearly what the Eagles' beef happens to be. That that they really don't care that Jonathan Gannon left, 
but he left after they let Vic Fangio go. And look at the Dolphins. The Dolphins benefiting from tampering. How fitting. How perfect for the NFL. <laughs> but that's where I don't. Is, did they benefit from the tampering or from the hiring? Uh, I don't know. I think the tampering was born out of desperation, Vic, because the Cardinals were so far behind in their process of finding a coach that actually excited them. Yes. So they felt desperate yeah. to do it when they did it. So so maybe they that maybe they had Jonathan Gannon targeted as a head coaching candidate and then they got wind or saw that post game interview where he said, "Yep, I'm coming back to Philly." And they probably went, "Whoa, wait a minute. Wait, the wait. This is one of our last guys on our list." And then maybe they lobbed the call the next day. And if Vic Fangio decided the same day that Jonathan Gannon said that I'm staying in Philadelphia, that he's going to Miami, then then how does that timeline match up with the information that Jonathan Gannon spoke with the Cardinals? It, yeah, I, I I think they're just mad. I, I think I still believe the Eagles are just mad. I think and, that, and, and and they are scapegoating Jonathan Gannon for losing the well, Super Bowl. They want to blame it on somebody that's not there anymore. Okay, I, I do agree. There's a lot to that, but I also think that they're they're probably they're they're probably they their anger towards Jonathan Gannon in their minds is probably legit. Walter Mitchell does a great job writing columns for Revenge of the Birds. Um, he he brought up a fascinating point for all of us who are very quick to take the Cardinals. Uh, side in this. What if we learn that Clancy Pendergast was interviewing for a head coaching job after the Cardinals defense gave up a game-winning touchdown drive in the second half? How would we feel about that from our perspective? How would we would we be fine with that? Would we be oh yeah, you know, that happens? Probably not. It's a fair question, but then you got to go into the details of that drive. Did Clancy Pendergast, did, did him preparing for a head coaching job Affect Aaron Francisco to not cover anybody on of that drive. Of course not. <laughs> but 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 you know how people react to stories like this. So, so I'm just saying the truth of it is one thing. The perception, the reaction. Yes. I, I I understand. I understand that side a little more. They lost a Super Bowl, and they've got somebody to blame. Somebody they didn't like in the first place, who did something you're not supposed to do. Whether or not it happens all the time, it's you're still not supposed to do it. So, so I, I understand this a little better from the other side, um, but I still think it's I still think it's it's them more extracting something from the Cardinals than than actually feeling, you know, the Vic Fangio thing. I, it's I, I'm not I I don't know if the pieces all add up to it, but but again, at the same time, this is this is something where, in retrospect. These guys were very liberal with the truth and in, in what went down, which yes. did, which hasn't helped matters. And from our perspective, and from everybody in the outside's perspective, we have to kind of piece this puzzle together because we don't have dates on when all this, you know, this this window was closed. But when did the call happen? You know, we don't know here's, exactly um, when it happened. Here's here's finally what I'm going to say about this. I, I I think that if you really zoom out to thirty thousand feet, the way the NFL reacted, you guys figure this out. I'm not getting involved. If if Michael Bid Will was really starting to be on a hot seat over Terry McDonough and or Sean Coogler, the NFL would have used this opportunity to launch an investigation. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, isn't that the story of Robert Sarver? Yes. So so this I think from a from a 30,000 foot view, uh, I think this kind of speaks to something even bigger than this instance. But it also points out the inherent problems with the coaching cycle as it exists right now oh, in the NFL. Too. Yeah, too. Because obviously you're going to, teams that are seeking head coaches are going to want to talk to candidates from winning teams mm-hmm. who are still playing. There needs to be a more clear-cut window. Like nobody can do anything until this date. Mm. That would 
that would even the playing field and probably go a long way to eliminating problems like this. Uh, we need Suns fans more than ever to rally the, va- the Valley for games three and four. Text TICKET to 620-620. Register and listen for your name starting in the 7 o'clock hour. Coming up soon, the noon hour and the 5 o'clock hour for your chance to qualify for tickets to game three or game four to see the Suns take on the Nuggets. Once again, that's TICKET to 620-620. Speaking about rallying the Valley, what is the... Uh, mindset of the Phoenix Suns fan base. Is it energized and hungry? Or are they feeling defeated down 0-2? We'll find out tomorrow, but we'll discuss it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.